Hello there. Welcome to the Yummy Factor, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the mesmerizing world of filming food commercials. I'm Xander, food and tabletop director, and I'll be sitting down with the true masters of the craft, including directors, food stylists, practical special effects wizards, and anyone involved in this crazy world to hopefully shed some light on what it takes to make food look absolutely mesmerizing on screen. Today, I'm talking to the head of special effects, rigging, and food stunts at the garage. Matt Huber has created some of the coolest gizmos and contraptions to make food and beverages break the laws of physics in super slow motion. Check out Matt's amazing work in the description below. And we're live. Welcome to the show, Matt, Senor Matthew Huber. Pleasure to be here. I, I think I'm going to let you explain what you do. And um, yeah, I, I always like beginning the whole conversation with what do you think is your main responsibility on a tabletop project? So I've described myself as a mechanical solutions specialist. I work with a wide variety of uh, materials and types of control systems. You know, I also sometimes to be more funny. I say that uh, I primarily do food stunts. So I do special effects rigging for uh, tabletop video commercials and productions. And uh, that entails sometimes using air pistons to throw chicken nuggets in the air or, you know, motorized sliders to, to move cameras and, and other things. So it's a, it's a really a, a wide range of different tools that I have at my disposal. Been pretty excited recently. We got a, a CNC machine from Haas uh, over the summer. Can you explain what a CNC machine is? Like I, I saw it, but I would like if you told me, I wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> so the shortest, the shortest description I have for a CNC machine is it's like a 3D printer in reverse. It cuts away material where a 3D printer lays down mm-hmm. material, and it does it based off of a 3D model that you've made and programming that you've created to cut away the material to give you the, the, the final product that you want. So it can do drilling. It can do milling, which just kind of cuts away with a round flat ended tool. Uh, it can do, it can tap holes. So you have thread holes. It really can do a lot. So whatever shape you need. And, and obviously by being that, you know, reverse, what do you call like taking away material instead of adding subtractive, this, subtractive, it's, you can make pieces that are worth much sturdier than the other way around. No, that that's, I think that's the whole point. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, I primarily work in aluminum, steel, and then plexi, uh, depending on what we need it for. And, um, what's neat is that you can, you know, get all these shapes with really very high degree of accuracy. So on this recent job we did for pure leaf, uh, we ended up making some of the props and models in the CNC. So there's like a, a zero, platform shaped as a number zero uh that we were able to make in-house so it's not only like the the gizmos and like what you call food stunts of like making catapults and making these contraptions that makes things fly around or move in a particular way or break physics but it's also like now you're using it as a prop it's like oh we need like a, a symbol and then you do like the logo oh yeah we want the bmw logo <laughs> yeah, we uh so we made a backlit illuminated sign for a purple mattress that was on the wall in the final ad. And then 
also on that ad was one of the first times that we made uh, rigs, uh, basically these pneumatic dropping levers um, that were in the shot. So uh, it makes things that are pretty enough to look very clean and nice. And, and we used it in the shots of the ad. And I was pretty pleased with that. It's also, that was very technically challenging. So you're expanding all your roles on a set. Props and lighting. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, just so people understand how rare this particular job was, you know, like nobody's going to like judge you if you miscalculate, uh, but how many people do actually think do what you do in the world? Um, you know, it might be, yeah, it's in the thousands, you know, it might be under a thousand, but it, there's a good number of people doing it, but certainly it's a smaller subset than, you know, a lot of other categories. You know, if you're including all of film and television. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because this is like, could you say that you're like part of the special effects or practical effects world? Yes, of course. If that's what we're, if that's how we're categorizing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, like one of the guys that I met over the weekend with the Mark Roberts event, was doing the much bigger rigs, yeah. the ones that like move a boat that actors are on, like, you know, an emotion base. So I was like, I was a little bit like bowing to him being like, oh shit, that's real big rigging where I do stuff. Right. Cause you make nuggets fly around and there's these people who work on Fast and the Furious and they make the cars just yeah. like jump around. Yeah, or- exactly. So that's a whole other league. <laughs> I really enjoy where I'm at in terms of like, the pace of challenges that I get and the variety of things I get to solve for. I love thinking of like all these jobs as puzzles where there's like a set of constraints that I'm trying to meet as best I can. And it's multidimensional in terms of like, you're going to need to think a little bit about the lighting, about where the camera is going to be about where, you know, you can't just take over all the space. Like I think one of my mistakes early on, one of the things I found really challenging early on is like, okay, I would think about the problem, the constraints that I had and want to take over like this, make a big box framework that would make sure everything's really rigid. And, and like, they're like, well, how are we going to put lights and a camera okay. in there? And they're almost like, I don't know, but you told me it needs to be rigid. So here you go. <laughs> this works. And yeah. Like, but we have to just, like still light it. And the hand model needs to have their hand in there. It's like, Oh <laughs> yeah. So, so I always had to, I had to pull back and say, okay, as slim as possible, but still rigid enough, you know, or like try and make all the concessions for all the things that they haven't said yet, but are going to come up. Let's talk a little bit about like specific projects. Are there any memorable rigs um, that you've worked on in the last years? And if you don't, like I can definitely name a few of my favorites. I, yeah. <laughs> I would I would love to hear what some of your favorites are, actually. Oh, no, I mean, obviously, the legendary one, the one that became famous around the world in 2016 was the Burger Drop. Burger Drop. So that was Steve. That was all Steve. Oh, that was all Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. That was actually what made me aware of Steve. And people sent me that and said, hey, looks like something you would have done. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't. <laughs> so I, I that that made me. But you didn't know Steve at that time or. No, no. So I saw the burger drop that Steve had done and I was working in LA at the time doing more stop motion and more like uh, stop motion rigs and a lot of motion control in that kind of field of things. And when I moved back to New York, I hit him up and it was great because like there was a person who right off the bat, I didn't have to describe anything more than just the most basic 
way I would describe it to myself. Like, okay, I'm going to use a, a relay and I'm going to have this triggered this way through this. And he's like, I'd have to tell him a relay is a switch. Like he already knew he already had. So it was really cool meeting him and starting to work with Steve because like he has this understanding of all the basics of the electronics and mechanicals and that kind of thing. And you getting together with Steve and I don't know at what point Dan came in and that was like the birth of the barrage, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was like, I want to say it was 2018 is when we first started doing stuff. And our first, our first thing together was the Hershey's s'more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on that one. So for, for anyone who doesn't know, it was basically this contraption where there was like two crackers that would like get smushed. And in the middle you had the chocolate and the marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like all bespoke rigging, running it with dragon frame software a uh, red camera with a little tilt and a focus motor on it. And, you know, Steve did a rough sketch of like, oh, maybe this is what things could be like. And I got to figure out like what the actual mechanical connections were going to look like. And um, that was a, that's still a very satisfying one to mm -hmm. look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally. Has a really smooth synchronous movement and um, really cool. So other favorite rigs. There's the, it's been dubbed the spinning rig of death and we've, we've done it. Uh, we've set it up twice now. It is, it, maybe I'll, you know, show somebody a, a clip of this thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely going to include a link to the, like the behind the scenes because I think they're super fun. Yeah. 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 Uh, on the website of the garage to like, you have to all these, you see Matt running around building all these contraptions, but sorry, go ahead. You were doing this spinning. Yeah. Rig so of this, death. so this thing, the <laughs> spinning rig of death, uh, consists of at its center, a three inch stainless steel vertical bar, like uh, rod welded down to a broad steel plate. And off of that, off of some very heavy duty bearings is a horizontal arm that can spin around. So in the middle of that, on the top of that post, we set up a, a table surface and on the end of the arm, which is like, I want to say it's like six feet out is the phantom camera hey, shooting the table. And then on the back side of the arm is a background. So as it spins around, it moves its own background on this thing. We put some lights to, to light the background and to drive it. We took this three horsepower servo motor and we had trouble getting it to operate properly in terms of a, a regular servo motor. So it was kind of like just, just sent it a signal telling it to wind up and wind up and wind up. And um, I think we got it up to 35 miles per hour, which you know, for a car going in a straight line, doesn't seem like that. But for a camera spinning around mm -hmm. in the studio, it was a lot. We had like these foam core V flats around our set. This is at the old space uh, before we moved in, into Industry City. So the old space was in the uh, in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. And we're on the 12th floor. And we've got this thing slowly ramping up to 35 miles per hour. These V flats all around the set, they're like, squeezing in and, and whooshing out with each time that the, the camera goes by. And the, the craziest thing is like they, they, they sell similar rigs, like smaller versions of this rig yeah. on Amazon for like 200 bucks. Yeah. Like it's this, basically it's this thing, you have a platform and you have this arm where you put your camera and then you can like, I don't know, put whatever product, Send it around. product yeah. in the middle, like your shoe or yeah. like some, you know, beauty products, whatever, and just, just spins around. Now imagine this like, 10 times bigger and, you know, powered by 
an engine. <laughs> a, a, a very a lot of electrical power going into it's like a three phase uh, servo motor that's like you know as fat as as fat as your uh, your chest basically. And at that point, you were just like, were you trying to see how fast you could go? So the original one was done for Jack Daniels. Yeah, and that orbit was happening while an ice cube was dropped into a glass in the center of the shot. So what was cool was getting that like parallax view, like orbital view of something that you know happens in a very short amount of time. And so people that have worked in motion control know that like, you know, at shooting a thousand frames, super cool, but rarely do you get a feeling that the camera is really moving quickly relative to the slow-mo that you're shooting. So here we were actually trying to get that camera moving fast enough that you could feel like the camera was moving even during slow-mo. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't like punch you in the face that the camera's going that fast. Cause like you would have to be going like 88 miles per hour mm-hmm. before it really yeah. felt really fast, but you can see like this interesting perspective on the Corona of the splash happening inside the glass. We went on to do something I thought was really delightful is dropping a large quantity of really colorful bouncy balls. Kids love to play with the super bouncy balls in the middle of this shot. And so as they're bouncing and the camera's orbiting, you get this weird like retrograde motion where they feel like they're drifting and you can't quite predict which way they're going. It's a little bit like the bullet time effect, but in real time, if that makes sense. In real time, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're getting that, that really high speed orbit. So... I'm sure we're going to bring this out again and do it again at some point. And I think I've, I've got a little list of like uh, improvements I'd like to make to, to see it work just a little bit better and get everyone some helmets <laughs> actually, actually bolted to the ground would be nice because oh, okay, yeah. I think the last time I was like, Hey, this is not where it started as it slowly like managed to shift itself across the studio floor. When some of these projects come in and obviously, you know, especially Steve who likes these highly complex shots, how exactly do you approach a shot? I mean, you can be specific. Like if you have like a a project that comes to mind that you've done and you could use that as an example, make it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I start off with a sketch almost always. So I'll think about this last job that we did for purely, I don't know if we'll have to wait till, you know, they release the commercial before you air this episode. But in that we had a previs and, you know, this is one of Steve's, Steve corrected this one. We have a shot that starts off with an eye level view of a pure leaf bottle on top of a, an infinity pool with this background of blue water ripples on the wall. The camera jibs up to a dead overhead on that bottle. Oh, I forgot to mention, the bottle's also on a platform. The platform, while we're still at eye level, raises up. The camera jibs up to an overhead shot to show us that that is the shape of a zero for their zero-calorie tea. Gotcha. And um, this pool is backlit. So what we have is we've got all these different angles of view on a tank of water with a moving platform in the middle of it. And so this was a real head scratcher for me where I was like, okay, well, I can start off with, I know about the pool. They had a a really excellent previs done and they made sure that that would work with four foot by eight foot by 10 inches deep. 
So that got nailed down right away. I made some sketches. I was struggling with like how to move the platform through the bottom of a body of water that also needs to get backlit because like that whole surface has like diffusion on the bottom and we've got light coming up. So the the tea colored liquid in this four foot by eight foot tank is all glowing and rippling on the surface. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I worked out that, and this is one of those times where like, I was just really grasping for something and I figured out like, Hey, wait a second. I think there's gotta be a way for me to drive a rod through the bottom of this pool without it leaking the whole time. Because that's like other rigs I've done that are kind of similar to this, where I've had like a liquid agitator that has to come through the surface to create waves that radiate from the center. The last time I did that rig, we had just a lot of leakage. Which means a whole lot of mess. <laughs> it was just a mess. It was a mess. And, and, and that time we didn't have to have lights underneath the set. But this time with lights under the set and water right. and a big set like that, I, I didn't. I was really looking for something that would keep the water inside. So I ended up taking the end of an air piston, taking the air piston apart, taking that end connection that the rod goes through and bolting that onto the bottom of my tank and using the rod out of the air piston to drive up and down to move that zero platform that the product was on. Because on that overhead shot, you didn't see any rigging. Right. The center of the zero is open. So there was like, I, I kept looking at this thing like, you gave me nothing to hide. But did anyone ever consider going like, okay, let's just do a digital retouch or like, just like do it in post? Was it all put on you? <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a conversation, but with the ripples of the water yeah, and like how to keep it and also our pride, <laughs> you know, we want to, yeah. we like, I, I love a good challenge. And so while that may have been something that could have been pushed for and at the was available. I wasn't running to that until, until I had to. Correct. So, you know, I, I thought about a couple different alternate techniques or alternate approaches to try and solve for that problem. But, uh, you know, in the end I, I came up with this, a rod straight through a linear ball screw underneath the set. And then that got us what we needed for that one. Um, so there's always different like ways to get to your, your solution. You know, as I've gotten more and more sophisticated tools, I tend to like always think of my sophisticated options. And sometimes it's really refreshing to bring in someone to assist for me who will just remind me like a simpler way of doing it. Right. right. I have also worked my way from like doing stuff with screws and wood and like things you can buy at the hardware store to now like modeling things in Fusion 360 and then CNCing a new device for each application. That's the thing. Like I've, I've, I've seen your stuff. You're always looking for the elegant or the most elegant approach. Like it, it's even though the break will be not in frame, it'll be perfect, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like if I can make so like I'm, I'm always looking for at least I want to maintain some certain things in my rigs. Like I want to have uh, consistent results, you know, like so I kind of tend to not want to do things by hand because People just can do, people are extremely versatile. That's great. And, uh, you know, me and my guys will often joke about if it comes down to it, it could be a meat robot doing that, which refers to just doing something yeah, by hand. The meat robot. <laughs> and I've had stuff fail. And then I'm like, I've become the meat robot. I duck under the set and I'm like, 
moving something by hand. I'm just like, this sucks because every time I'm trying to do it the same. But that's that's 99% of my projects. I mean, like, uh, sure. you know, like obviously at the garage and when I, when I work with you guys, it's, it's like amazing to, you know, have someone like, like you, like for the simplest thing, you always have something prepared. So, yeah. I'm so used to just like taking it in my own hands, just like letting it drop. And I mean, the, so there's, there's definitely a time for doing things by hand. And so I also try not to forget that. Like if the amount of articulation that it takes to do the thing is just extremely burdensome to try and recreate mechanically, you could do it by hand. Like, and also sometimes you want variation. If you want variation, then do it by hand. If you need consistency, if you need to have three things hit each other at the same time, let's do that mechanically. Let's not try and have three people throw three things and miss nine times out of 10. Yeah. Let's, let's get some timing control and let's get some mechanically consistent results. So if I can get it, have, you know, so for those kind of rigs, I want incrementally adjustable and, you know, repeatable devices that will be able to allow me to kind of hone in on that perfect moment that we're looking for. We're like, Damn. maybe it's a pepper that launches up and it gets hit on the bottom. So it tumbles over head over heels. You know, if, if that's the kind of thing they were looking for, then you're going to need to get into something that kind of is consistent, that has consistent results. And the great thing is like, uh, and, and obviously I've seen you work with Steve, is like you come up with these complex shots and it's not that you figure it out or redial it in the day of the shoot. You spend days, if not weeks, building these contraptions. And then as you said, like you keep the variables very controlled. So you will adjust it, adjust it, adjust it. When you go like, okay, now we have it. Uh, then you just like, don't move anything. Yeah. We'll just come in, you know, with the proper lights and with the proper, whatever you need to, you know, get the final shot done. And then, and then you have it. Yeah. Scientifically kind of like operating is, is a great way to, to do it, you know? And the problem is sometimes you think you've got it prepped just right. Perfect. And then on the day, Someone says, oh, yeah. By the way, <laughs> we're, the material is this. The, the material you're preparing with was not what we're going to use on the day. And you're like, it could be as simple as the, the temperature of the liquid. Exactly. You know, you, you tested it with cold and then you had to like make it a little bit warmer or even hot. And then suddenly yeah. the physics are completely different. Then, then it's going to do different stuff. So, yeah. um, you're still going to need to be on your toes and ready to adapt. And maybe the key light was on the right side and now it's on the left and you had something that's putting a shadow on there now. And it's like, wow, well, let's see how I can like make it work. When I was talking to, to Steve, I asked him like a couple of like flash questions and I asked him like, um, would he prefer, does he prefer working with solids or liquids? And he said liquids right away. Do you have a preference of what kind of things, um, you know, what kind of product or what kind of materials you like using or working with? I mean, I, I like a lot of different types of products. So I, I can't say, I mean, I love looking at liquids because they're just such beautiful shapes and kind of there's a chaos in there and it's like really a pretty to see. There's like some more experimental stuff that we've gotten to do where like, the vortex rig where it's a tube spun up really high speed. So it starts to have that centrifugal force of the liquid crawling up the sides. And then we jerk that thing down really quickly. Oh, that was the Pepsi black thing. We did Pepsi that yeah, started off with Pepsi in there. Uh, most recently we got to play with it with the phantom onyx uh, mm -hmm. that uh, Abel Cine 
let us borrow and shot it at like, I think that was 5,000 frames a second or something or 9,000 frames a second. And it's just like this slow-mo, like extremely slow-mo of like sheeting of liquid that then breaks into droplets and tendrils. And it's just like, that happens all the time. Like that's the kind of thing that blows my mind is like some of the tools that we get to see reality with it's just showing us stuff that happens all the time, but we just can't, we have no way to see it normally. And it's just really neat to see that. Is there anything that is like your Everest that you go like, okay, you know, I want to still do this or you like you've developed stuff or you have old rigs that you go, okay, I want like, for example, that rotating, that the spinning, spinning (laughs) because like, if you say 10,000 frames, you know, I want to see some proper camera move. At 10,000 frames a second. How are we going to do so that? So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there's any camera that, that we could safely move fast enough to see the difference at 10,000 frames. Unless we were doing like macro shots, like really tight macro shots. Um, I, what's my Everest? That's a good question. And I don't have a quick answer for you on that. Like, honestly, I feel like I've touched a lot of... I, I feel like I've gotten my toes wet with a lot of different types of rigs. And I still feel like there's so many different combinations and so many different variations on stuff that I've done and stuff that I haven't done. And I mean, the thing that's really great, I also feel like in terms of the garage is now like working with different directors, you know, like yourself and getting to like have a different viewpoint and different asks that, you know, challenge me in, in new ways. And some of it's just a matter of like making sure I really understand what that person is, is looking for, where, I've worked with Steve for so long and he knows how I think. And I know how he thinks that like just pretty quickly, like we can just mesh up on what is in the sketches and I can go to work. And I know that I'm not like missing something. Whereas there's a lot of different points of view and it's, it is an interesting challenge to like make sure that you like fully understand what is being asked of you or that if it is something that's not really possible, like how to like, okay, where can we find some wiggle room to like bring reality in line with these drawings or these ideas? Cause some things are better done in CG. That's it for this episode of the yummy factor. If you like the show, please subscribe. So you don't miss an episode. If you have questions, you can find the contact information in the description box. The yummy factor airs every second Wednesday of the month. 